Let me tell you a story, podcast number 59. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago, never mind it is a how truth long universally You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with hosts Steve and Becky Lyle. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine, or lace up your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve. Hi, this is Becky. We're back with more stories for you, including a fun detective story, which Steve is going to read right now. I'll let him introduce it. This is called... Make It Last. It's by Idaho author Michelle Netton. I swung the door of my car shut and walked toward the house. Some house. Calling it just a house was like calling Niagara just a waterfall. Antonio Carlotto had money, more than I ever expected to see on my monthly bank statement, and he'd pretty much bought whatever he wanted with it, including the incorporation of every building style known to man in this one house. Every side was different, from English Tudor to Mediterranean arches. The result was an architectural Frankenstein. Luckily, I had no respect for the man who lived here, but his money was good just about anywhere. I say most people who dealt with Carlotto did so out of desperation rather than choice. I was glad to say mine was choice. That and a bank account so far below zero, it was polar. Carlotto's reputation had him as mercenary, ruthless, cruel. Known as a put-your-own-grandmother-up-as-collateral type of guy in a tough-hearted town, where that's almost a virtue. But so far I had no complaints, which is why I could overlook the monstrosity of the house along with the matching ego that had built it. I knocked on the door, or rather, I rapped with a brass knocker, still looking around. I had time to spot a pool Moby Dick could have gotten lost in, and then Fritz opened the door. It had been a while since I'd been here, but Fritz is tack-sharp. He remembered me with the same fondness one has about recalling the flu. Fritz didn't like anyone connected with the law, which is how he considered me. I wasn't on the force anymore, hadn't been for years. But according to Fritz, once a cop, always a cop. Maybe it's true. Come in, sir, he said, saying sir the way some people say jerk. Mr. Carlotta was expecting you. That's why I'm here, Fritz. Right on time, too. I gave him my most fetching grin. He merely blinked at me and then turned to fetch the master. His tail wasn't wagging. I continued my visual intake of the place while he was gone. It was just as confused on the inside. I stood casually on the cream-colored marble flooring in a wide hallway that could have doubled for a bowling alley for giants. Life-size paintings hung on the walls around me. Most of them were portraits, and none of them looked like the kind of clients that pay rent in the same district I do. One portrait of a woman gazed at me with a cool look of contempt, the look the rich always give you when you're the hired help. My thoughts about the woman in the painting were interrupted by Carlotto himself without the faithful Fritz. Mr. Antonio, yes, all this luxury is mine. Carlotto looked as extravagant as the place he lived in. Same old Carlotto. I'd worked with him once before, a security leak at one of his companies. I'd gotten lucky then and caught the guy with goods right out of the gate, which made me look good. 
So my last time through here, he'd rolled out the red carpet as if I'd just made him another million on Wall Street. But the other side of him was always just as close to the service as ice in a cocktail. Nicholas Sterling, it's been a couple years, he stated, vigorously shaking my hand. I resisted the temptation to count my fingers when he let go. Come with me into my study. With no reassurance coming from the painted ice woman, I followed him down the hallway until we turned into his favorite room. I'd forgotten how nice a room it was, a beauty of a room in a beast of a house. Bookshelves lined the walls. A large oak desk filled the corner by the window. The desk was cleared except for a few papers and a row of leather-bound books stacked against a marble bookend on one side and an unopened bottle of whiskey on the other. He took a seat in one of the overstuffed chairs and gestured to me to do the same. I'll start right where the problem is, he said. Carlotta was very short on small talk. I hate to admit it, but I tell you, I got family problems. It's about my daughter, Lauren. You remember her from the last time you were here? I nodded vaguely, but it was the other daughter I remembered the most, and then some. What I want you to do is dig up some dirt on your boyfriend, Alex Marino. I want this guy out of her life and out of my hair. I could do it rough, but this is my daughter, so I'm going to do it nice and reasonable. Real considerate, I noted. He continued, So what I want from you is to find the dirt I can bury this guy in. It's there. All you got to do is find it and bring it to me. Don't come back till you get my dirt. Money's no object. Are you with me so far? I had visions of dollar bills floating away from me. He wanted it rigged. It was a nice, tight window frame he was describing, but I don't do windows. Look, I said, you know I used to be a cop. Even then, I never pinned one on anybody that didn't have it coming. He held up his hand. I'm not asking for a Trump job. I told you there's dirt. Trust me, this guy is as bent as... He shrugged, unable to find the words for the extent of Moreno's bentness. He gave me a dark look like he knew more than he was telling. But here's what you need to know. And with that, he talked for a quarter of an hour. The gist was that while Lauren had found true love with Alex Moreno, Antonio had not. He'd forbidden her to see him weeks ago, but he felt she still was behind his back. Brave girl. I liked her already. Lauren good to have any input on this? I asked. Lauren's just a kid. She didn't get her mother's looks. But she didn't get any of my smarts either. Nice talk from Dad about Daddy's girl, I thought. Carnado continued. She thinks she's in love, but she wouldn't know love if it knocked her on her butt. Felicia, she's another story. She's got a lot of me and her, and nobody pulls one over on her. But we're not talking about Felicia. Marino's going after Lauren to get to the prize. Her money. Or the money he thinks she has. You saying she doesn't have money? I've taken steps for her own good. That jerk's not going to get a dime of my money. And her money's my money. I'm cutting her out, and she knows it too. I told her she's out, and she stays out till Marino's history. Felicia gets it all till then. Remembering what I did of Felicia... That sounded like asking a piranha to babysit your guppies for the weekend. But I'm not counting on Lauren to do the smart thing, which is where you come in. Which is where I was beginning to wish I'd never thought about jumping on this rolling snowball. This time, I was going to see Carlotto's other best side.
you go out and get the goods on Marino and bring them back to me. Nice and neat. That includes proof that they're still sneaking around seeing each other. But mostly, I want dirt to bury the guy. I got the message, Carlotto. I don't need a hearing aid. I stood up. I'll be in touch. It shouldn't take long. I'll be waiting, he said. Fritz appeared from nowhere to show me out, as though I were contents of a wastebasket. I got in my car, feeling more than ready to leave this place. I needed the money as much as I had when I arrived, but I didn't want the job. I couldn't figure it either. I dug up the goods on guys like Marino so many times it was like eating candy. Sweet and easy. Marino probably deserved it, too. I guess it's just that even a scumbag like Marino doesn't look like such a scumbag next to Carlotto. But scumbag hierarchy isn't my problem. And maybe Lauren wasn't seeing the guy anymore after all. And we could all go away happy. And maybe I'd win the lottery later today, too. At home, I sat down with a cold one and pulled out the envelope Antonio had given me about Lauren. His daughter's life in a manila envelope. The guy's sentimentality was touching. There were the usual details, where she worked, car she drove, a couple of her friends. Scattered around were some pictures of her, and of Alex, the handsome lad you'd expect, but no photos were of the two of them together, which seemed to fit since they didn't look like a matched set. There was also a shot of Felicia with her name stuck on the picture with a sticky note. Not that I needed it to keep from getting the two sisters confused. It'd be hard to believe they could be distant third cousins, much less sisters. Felicia was striking. She was wearing shorts, aptly termed hair, and a red halter top that was struggling to do its job. She was smiling brightly at someone outside of the picture, probably some guy falling all over himself trying to keep her attention. Lauren wasn't even close. Next to her sister, Lauren's candle burned out. I looked at a picture where she was trying to smile, but she looked as relaxed as a fish in a tanning booth. It was easy to figure why Lauren would want Alex. One easy answer to why Alex would want her was her money. Sometimes easy answers are the right ones, even though they stink. A real scam artist, if that's what Alex was, could have gone for Felicia, where he would have had beauty and the bucks. Enough home movies. I had to be across town in a half hour. I finished the rest of my beer, changed my shirt, climbed to my car, and headed across town. I pulled my heap up to the curb across from the bank where Lauren worked. I didn't worry too much about being seen. We'd only met once or twice, and that was a long time back, and she wasn't likely to stop to admire my car. I looked at my watch. Two minutes past five, and out she came from the building. No overtime today. She was dressed in the kind of simplicity that banks love and that takes a lot of money to assemble. She was a thin girl, and the suit hung loosely rather than outlining any figure. As she got nearer, I could see her face, and she appeared to be in good spirits. Her walk was brisk, her eyes bright. Despite her plainness, I had to admit, she had lovely green eyes. They showed up even at a distance. She crossed the parking lot and got into her car. I moved easily into traffic as she drove out. She drove like a woman with a place to go, and I was hoping its name was Alex. She made a couple of brief stops before hitting the freeway. She was headed towards the coast, about 20 minutes from where we were. She pulled over at the beachside rest stop. Except for a few randomly parked cars, it was perfect for a secret rendezvous.
Unless, of course, you were trying to shadow the rendezvous-ers. I parked as far away as possible, which wasn't all that far, and pretended not to be watching. As soon as she stopped, Marino emerged from a nearby car. He took her hand as she got out, and they walked toward the beach. I wasn't being paid to analyze their relationship, only to confirm it. She looked and acted like somebody very much in love, and so did he. Of course, he could be faking, but I didn't catch any obvious signs, like the strained look of an actor playing a role as they strolled along the beach. As far as he knew, they were alone, and he had no one to put a show on for, except for her. Could be. But maybe I'm gullible. But I would have voted that I had tagged two people in love. I ran out of things to look at on the inside of my car. So I got out after a while and wandered around, keeping well away from them. I didn't look at them much, and they didn't look at me at all. I felt like Montague or a Capulet, watching Romeo and Juliet on a sandy balcony. I'd seen enough. I went back to my car and moved it to another spot well before they came back. As long as this love scene was taking, I could have ordered out for pizza. Thinking about them, I felt too odd to remember what it was like to be that young. But somewhere, buried, I could remember what it was like to be in love. At least when Evelyn had been alive. Things had been a lot different then. Finally, I saw them approaching Lauren's car and was glad because too much of my own past was catching up to me. I was ready to change this Hallmark channel. Even the son got tired of it and left. Finally, Alex got in his car and left. I waited for Lauren to follow so I could follow. She didn't. She looked around as if she expected to find someone else. I guess my subtle tailing needs a brush up. She walked straight up to the side of the car, her shoes making crunching sounds on the sandy ground. I got out and faced her. Mr. Sterling, I'm sure I don't need to ask you what you're doing here. So much for her not remembering me. I nodded my head in her direction for a greeting. She went on. My father's hired you, and now you've got the information he wants. Well, she shared directness with her old man. That about sums it up, I said. I was blown, and there was no point in denying it. I've been waiting for this, she said, but I didn't think it would be you. I don't know much about you, but what I remembered was in your favor. I respected you. I've been hired to do a job. That's all, Miss Carlotto. Nothing personal. Is that all you think this is, a job? This nothing personal thing you're doing is my life, Mr. Sterling. My whole life. Your father thinks you're being taken advantage of, I suggested. My father thinks a lot of things, but mostly he's a bigoted, egotistical man who cares nothing at all about me or my happiness. Alex is all I've got, all I'll ever have. I'm not going to lose him. Despite her firm words, her lovely eyes pleaded with me, showing desperation plainly. When will people stop trying to run my life, she continued. I'm asking you not to tell my father about this. You don't have to. I have to tell him something. He's the boss here. I can't renege on a job. If it's not going to be me, it'll just be another gumshoe who's not as charming as me. More importantly, what if he's right about Alex? He isn't, Mr. Sterling, but let me tell you something. I don't care if he is. 
Alex says he loves me. I believe him. But even if he doesn't, it's good enough for me. Even if it's a lie, I want it. It's better than all the other truths I've had in my life. Don't take him away from me. I couldn't hold her green-eyed gaze. I'll be as fair as I can, Miss Carlotto, but I will have to do the job I was hired to do. She smirked at me without a trace of merriment. You're all alike, you know that? People who are really careless with other people's lives. Is he paying you a lot? I hope you enjoy the money, Mr. Sterling, because your salary is going to ruin my life. She didn't wait for a response to that. I didn't have one anyway. I watched her drive away before I got in my car and did the same. I drove slowly, trying not to think, but doing it anyway. There's something about driving along the coast that makes a person get in touch with their contemplative side. I wished for something else to contemplate. Now it was time to follow up on Marino and see if there were any goods to get there. Maybe I'd get lucky, and evidence abounded that the guy really was a creep and Lauren would be better off without him. Then I'd be a hero. My loyalties were mixed, it was true. But I had a policy I'd never abandon, and that was finishing a job. But I didn't have to like what I finished. I pulled up in front of my office and swung into the back lot. The headlights splashed on the wall that had last been painted sometime during the reign of Caesar. I called Lieutenant Max Handlin, my former boss, before I'd left the force. I couldn't exactly call him a dear friend, but at least he didn't hang up on me when I called. He thinks he owes me a couple of favors and probably doesn't, but I'm taking advantage until he figures it out. I asked him to run a make on Alex Marino. Any prior record, murder charges, stealing candy bars from toddlers, arson at sea, whatever. Why do you want to know, he demanded. Because I might want to date his mother. "Uh Uh-huh, he grunted. Carlotto's on the prowl. His daughter's romantically involved with a guy, and he's protecting her wallet. I could have told him more of the truth, but sometimes the whole truth takes too long. So now you're into Lonely Hearts Clubs? That's me, Mr. Heartbreaker. Let me know the goods, if you would, sir. Okay, sure, Max gruffed. I'll run a check and get back to you. Let it never be said I stood in the way of true mercenary love. You're a real pal on the side of love and order, Max. He grunted some obscenity at me before he hung up the phone. Then I called Charlie. Charlie's a private dick who runs the rougher part of town. I don't know how he's still alive, knowing what he knows. Not much gets past him, and he's made all the wrong kinds of friends. But somehow he keeps on. What Max didn't know about Alex, Charlie would. Nothing crooked went down in this town without Charlie knowing about it. If Alex was dirty, Charlie already knew. I left a message on Charlie's machine to call me and hung up. I leaned back in my chair and looked around. The only light was squeezing in through the half-closed blinds and it came from twinkling bar lights and changing street signals. Nothing else was going to get done here. I locked up and drove to Millie's place. The food's terrible, but the company's okay and beer's beer. I had two before heading home to open a third. Right as I popped the tab, my phone rang. It was Max with a rundown, the big scoop. The bad news I was going to hang Alex with. It took Max less than ten seconds to tell me Alex Moreno was a stranger to the police. No murders, assaults, holdups, or indecent exposures. He'd never even jaywalked as far as the PD was concerned.
Thanks again, Max. You owe me one less. Let me know when I'm even, Sterling. Not that shoring up your love life ain't a hoot. I told him, sure, okay, and hung up. Well, Charlie might come through with a rap sheet as long as the trail of beer cans I was leaving tonight. Except Charlie didn't call until the next morning. He sounded like he was talking with his mouth full of dirty socks. Nick? Is Charlie here? Yeah, Charlie, you don't sound so good. You eating cotton candy or what? No, man, I got some of my teeth extracted for a couple days ago. I'm feeling better now. Then I don't want to know how you felt before. I got some questions I'm hoping you can answer. I told him what I wanted. He'd heard of Alex all right, but only as a reputed playboy I'd already heard about. He ain't never done nothing I heard about, Nick. That said a lot. If Charlie hadn't heard about it, it hadn't happened. The guy is squeaky clean, like bleached laundry, man. Hey, thanks, Charlie. You've helped a lot, but I'm going to let you go because just listening to you hurts. Take care of yourself. I could still hear him chuckling as I hung up the phone. Either he was one of the bravest guys I ever met, or he'd had the sense beat out of him along with everything else. So now I had it on Marino. A big nothing. Zero. Nada. The guy was bleached laundry, as Charlie put it. True blue. Either Alex was a good enough con man to con everyone, or he had no dirt. Maybe he even really cared about Lauren. I couldn't figure it. Either way, it looked like I had a few things to tell Carlotto and no dirt to deliver. Oh boy. It was pretty late by the time I arrived back at Carlotto's house. I noticed Lauren's car in the driveway. I knocked, expecting another of Fritz's friendly welcomes. But what appeared at the door looked nothing like Fritz. The door might have opened on its own for this vision. She was staring at me, at first with what might have been surprise, followed by the slow, lazy smile that I remembered seeing before. She was dressed in a swimsuit with cover-up that was underworked. Her blonde hair fell about her shoulders and looked the kind of natural that takes about two hours to achieve. Al, Felicia started to say, and then stopped short. She gazed at me for a moment, and that's when the smile appeared. Well, well, she purred. Not who I expected. Clearly. Who'd you come to see, she went on. I'm sure it couldn't be Lauren, so it must be Daddy, dear. Unless it's little old me. She leaned against the door and then swung back with it for me to, to enter. I did. I know you from somewhere, don't I? Oh, yes, you worked for my father a couple years ago. Very good. You get an A, I said. Her laugh was smooth and easy while she closed the door behind me. Is Daddy expecting you? Of course, he must be, as he doesn't see anyone without an appointment. Do you always answer your own questions? I asked. She laughed, unaffected. Expecting someone else, were you? I inquired. She laughed again. Whatever gave you that idea? Anyone I know? I persisted. I haven't the slightest idea of what you're talking about. Yeah. I commented dryly. Oh, now, don't get nasty. I'll tell my father you're here if you like, but business is so boring, don't you think? You could come upstairs with me and have a drink instead. Sparring with Felicia wasn't something I wanted to engage in, kind of like fencing without a sword. This woman shared lots of characteristics with a snake, sleek, slippery, and full of hidden venom. 
I make it a practice to avoid snakes of all kinds. Thanks for the offer, but I'll stick with the business behind door number one. Yes, I remember that about you. Always working. I'd had enough of this family. I watched her disappear down the hall in search of her father. I wondered where Lauren was. Antonio came down immediately, and we went again into his study. Well, he barked, I've been waiting for word from you. And that's why I'm here, I said lightly. He crossed the room to the bar and poured himself a healthy shot of whiskey. He didn't offer me any. So let's hear it. I'm going to tell you what you want to hear, but I got more to say than that. He didn't say anything, so I went on. Lauren is seeing Alex, but I don't think he's doing a number on her. I didn't ask you what you thought about anything, Carlotto said. I asked for proof of Lauren's relationship with Marino and Marino's history. So far, you've given me half of what I asked. There is no other half. Marino's clean. Like hell he is. I want dirt on that guy, and you're going to tell me what it is. What I'm telling you is that there isn't any. I checked the guy out, and there's nothing there. It's not right, Sterling. You disappoint me. You holding out on me or what? What do you want, that I should make it up? I don't manufacture wraps. If there'd been something on this guy, I'd have found it. There's nothing to find. Maybe you just don't know where to look. But hey, I'll tell you what. I'll give you another job. I don't care about Moreno's past. I just want him out of the present. You can do that. I'll double what I've given you so far, and you take care of him. Think you can do that much? I'm not for hire as a muscle man. You hired me to do a simple investigation? I've given you what there is to know. But I got an opinion along the way that maybe you should let Lauren live her own life. You got nothing on this guy. Listen, Sterling, you're pissing me off. If I didn't like your work from a couple years ago, I threw you out of here right now. You got some kind of nerve telling me about my daughter. He slammed the rest of his drink down his throat. More fuel for the outburst. I almost wished I smoked so I'd have something to do while he went on. I ignored most of it until he said, I know the guy's a con man, and I'll tell you how I know. I paid him to be one. I paid him to see Lauren months ago when she was crying and moaning and singing the blues. She was interfering in my business, disrupting things around the house. So I hired a distraction named Alex Marino. Only the guy is still around, and now he's distracting me. I want him gone. He paused, allowing me to absorb his words. He had my attention. These were words that were coming into the picture a lot too late, and I said as much, no longer trying to hide my disgust. You didn't need to hire anyone, Carlotto. You already had your mind made up. You didn't need a reason. You rented the wrong guy. I headed for the door. Carlotto's voice followed. I hired you to find a reason to get rid of Marino. You didn't do it, but you've got the right idea. I'll whack him first and find a reason later. His laugh sounded like gravel sliding on glass. You're off this now, Sterling. Don't get in my way. I'm off it when I say I'm off it, Carlotto. I muttered to myself. He didn't own everyone, and I sure didn't like where this was headed. Steve will finish Make It Last in the next podcast number 60. And right now I'm going to read chapter 14 of Winds of Wyoming. Following the trail ride, Kate helped the wranglers remove the bridles, bits, and saddles from the horses and wipe them clean. 
They shook out the saddle blankets, sponged and brushed the horses' backs, checked their hoofs and led them into the corral. The sun was slipping behind a mountain by the time they finished. Clint walked her to a cabin. Did you enjoy yourself? She nodded. It felt good to ride again. You're a natural in the saddle. Maybe sometime you and I can go riding together. I'd love that. Two riding dates with cowboys in one day. Amy would be so jealous. Clint said goodnight, gave her hand a squeeze, and headed for his cabin. The moment Kate stepped into the Blue Jay, a stench assaulted her sinuses. Her cabin hadn't smelled quite right earlier. However, she'd been too excited about her date with Mike to think about it. Now, the odor was strong enough to burn her nostrils. She tiptoed into the bathroom. Empty sink, thank God, and peeked behind the shower curtain. No snakes in the tub. She cautiously lifted the toilet lid and heaved a sigh of relief. Just water. But there was one more place to look, under the sink. She opened the door to the cabinet. Toilet paper, towels, and shampoo. Nothing more. Before she inspected the rest of the cabin, she soaked a washcloth with water and squeezed it out and placed it over her nose and mouth. In the kitchen slash living room area, she felt her eyes begin to burn and wished she could cover them, too. Maybe the cabin had a sewer leak. Or the snake had decomposed, although she hadn't noticed the smell outside. Or, she swallowed, could it have revived enough to crawl back inside the cabin? She checked the oven and the refrigerator, pulled cushions from the couch and the chair, glanced underneath. The closer she got to the bedroom, the stronger the odor grew. She held her breath and knelt to look beneath the bed, but stopped at the sight of rumpled bedding. With a quick yank, she flipped the covers back to see a bloated, bloody, cat-sized animal sprawled across the sheets. The hairs on its rigid tail quivered with a sudden movement. She screamed and ran out the front door, gasping for air. A family of guests neared her cabin. Kate leaned against the log wall, hoping they couldn't smell what she smelled. She waited in the twilight, dreading what she had to do. Finally, she sucked in another breath, slapped the cloth against her face, and strode back to the bedroom to stare at the tan-colored creature. Roadkill. Ramsey was a sick man. She picked up her pillow. Her uncle's knife was gone. No surprise. Ripping the corners of the bottom sheet from the mattress, she clasped them together, swung the creature off the bed, and sprinted for the dumpster, where she opened the lid, flicked the carcass on top of the tri sheep, and slammed the top down. Three steps, and she was inside the nearby laundry hut, stuffing the sheet into a washing machine. The sheet smelled like death. She gagged, added detergent, and gagged again. After switching the water to hot, she hurried back to the cabin to open the windows and strip the remaining linens from the bed. While the blue jay aired and the bedding agitated, Kate huddled on the stoop, watching the stars make their nightly debuts. She pulled her jacket close. This latest prank was beyond ridiculous. It was harassment. She'd secured the windows and locked the door and saw no signs of forced entry. That meant Ramsey had stolen a key from the office or was better at picking locks than she suspected. Kate was still feeling groggy when she walked into the office the next morning. Whether it was the lumpy couch or wondering what it was going to crawl into her cabin next, a half-dead animal, a Ramsey, 
that kept her awake she didn't know, but she hadn't been able to convince herself to sleep in the bed, even though the sheets were clean. Laura, who had been standing in the middle of the room talking with Coach, stopped mid-sentence. "'Good morning, Kate. How was the trail ride?' "'I had a great time,' Kate said. "'Did I hear you say Cyrus threatened to quit?' Laura sighed. "'I'm sorry you heard that. Please don't tell anyone else.' Coach rested his elbows on the chair arms and tinted his fingers together. "'He's just spouting off. Didn't you say he threatens to quit every summer, Laura?' It's much different this time, and much earlier in the season. He's really ticked about... Laura's voice trailed away. Kate lifted her chin. About me? He mentions you, but... Would it help if I apologized again? It's my fault he's so mad. I wonder... Coach clasped his hands behind his head and leaned back in his wheelchair. I wonder if it has anything to do with Susan... He looked at Kate. She's his daughter and only child, went off to college back east several years ago, and never returned home. He paused, still eyeing Kate. Susan was about your height and had long, dark hair like yours. Kate sat down at her desk and turned on the computer. I can't see Cyrus comparing me with his daughter. Well, there is a similarity, he motioned to Laura. What do you think? It's possible, said Laura. You made some kind of connection. You never know about Cyrus. He's hard to read sometimes. Coach pursed his lips. From what I hear, Susan never writes or calls. Life was miserable for her here. Why? Kate had to ask, though she could easily imagine Cyrus being the ultimate crabby dad. She'd seen her share of that type. Because Cyrus made it miserable. Laura chimed in. Cyrus's wife, Helen, died of hantavirus when Susan was in junior high. He's been bitter ever since. Kate had never heard of the disease. What's that? Must be bad. You're right. It's a terrible rodent-carried disease usually caused by contact with mouse or rat droppings. They think Helen caught it when she cleaned out their barn that spring. Oh, Kate pictured the animal she deposited in the dumpster the night before. Maybe she should wash the sheets again. Good thing she slept on the couch instead of the bed. She looked at Coach. Was Cyrus cruel to his daughter? She knew the cranky man had a temper, but would he harm his own daughter? I had Susan in phys ed throughout junior high and high school, Coach said. I never saw bruises or other physical signs of abuse, but she seemed cowed and tended to stay at school as late as possible after her mother died. Susan was shy and quiet, but smart, real smart. Harvard snapped her up right away when she graduated. Anyway, nobody I know has heard from her since. Rumor has it she's a research scientist in California. Kate felt sorry for Susan. She even felt bad for Cyrus a lonely old man left behind by the two women he loved. Even so, that was no excuse for the way he treated her since her arrival at the ranch. How sad his own daughter avoids him. She turned back to Laura. Whether he associates me with her or not, I'll do whatever I can to help keep him on the ranch. Thank you, Laura ran her fingers through her hair. Dan was so good with Cyrus. Moisture welled in her eyes. 
He always found a way to settle him down. He would have known what to do about the break-in and, and Mike's accident with the truck and the dead buffalo. She blinked and wiped a tear from her cheek. I hate to think what will happen next. Kate bit her lip. It was already happening, and it kept on happening. She had to put a stop to Ramsey's rampage. Laura sat down at her desk. Thank you, both of you, for listening to me spout off. She sniffed. Sorry to be so pessimistic this morning. I know God will get us through this transition time, but some days it's just hard to move on without Dan. She opened a desk drawer. Oh my goodness, I don't remember making this mess. She sighed and her shoulders drooped. But then I forget a lot of things lately. Opening another drawer, she pulled out a tissue and blew her nose. Kate frowned. She had tried hard to not disturb the contents of the drawers. Laura, Kate turned his chair toward her. I've had plenty of experience dealing with teenage angst. Old man angst can't be much different. I'd be glad to talk with Cyrus. Thanks, Laura tossed the tissue into a nearby garbage can. But Mike and I need to figure out how to take care of problems around here without Dan. This is just a bump in the road, a bump I'm sure will survive. She offered him a weak smile. I appreciate the offer. The front desk bell rang. Laura checked her eye makeup in the small mirror above her desk and hurried into the lobby. Coach shook his head. Maybe I'm oversensitive about my disability, but I think Laura is afraid Cyrus will hurt me or he won't respect what I say. Just because I don't have the use of my legs doesn't mean I'm half a man. I could take the guy down in a second. Kate eyed his bulging forearms. I bet you could. And it would be great to see Cyrus humbled. I've never considered you half a man, he grimaced. Well, others do. I've heard the comments, seen the looks. And you know what? I have to admit I have my own doubts. I can teach and coach from a wheelchair. But can I defend my family without legs? Some nights I lie in bed wondering what I'd do if a burglar broke into our house. Wondering how I can protect my wife and boys. Her heart went out to him. Not many men, especially the man's man athletic type, were able to bear their souls the way he just did. She logged into the network. Have you tried prayer? I've been in some uncomfortable situations in Pri She cleared her throat. In Pittsburgh, the only way I could sleep at night was to tell God he'd have to take care of me because I was helpless. He ducked his head. You sound like my wife. She says prayer is a better use of time than worrying. If you've ever been in Dimple Forbes' house, you've probably seen the quote in her kitchen that says, Only he who can see the invisible can do the impossible. She told me prayer is the way we focus on an invisible God to help us do impossible tasks. He began to peck at his keyboard. I'm typing that up in big letters so Sally can tape it to our bedroom ceiling. Of course, I might have to aim a flashlight at it to see it, but it'll be there to remind me. She laughed. Whatever it takes, don't forget to stock up in batteries. Kate found Mike saddling horses in the barn. Both animals carried saddlebags as well as blanket rolls behind the saddles. A bubble of pleasure rose in her chest when he turned to her, a smile on his lips and in his eyes. Hey, Kate, you ready to go? She fingered a saddlebag. Looks like we'll be gone for days, not hours. 
I always take extra gear in case I run into a storm or something happens that I can't get back right away. He helped her onto a sorrel with a flaxen mane and tail. Thought you'd like this mare. Her name is Honey. Really? Really. You're not the only one who read Katrina's Wild Pony when you were young. Dad let me name her. She's beautiful, just like I pictured Honey in the book. He adjusted the stirrups for her, tugged at the cinch a final time, and gave her the reins. I think you'll enjoy riding her. What's your horse's name? Kate ran her fingers through Honey's mane. Guess. Um, let's see. Ebony? Midnight? Nope. He patted the stallion's dark neck. This is lightning. In the book, lightning was a white horse. I know, but I like the name, and that's how fast this horse can run. Like lightning. Tramp trotted alongside the horses as they cantered through the ranch and across the highway. Kate couldn't stop grinning. Dimple was right. She was living her dream. Mike and Lightning led the way to a narrow trail that followed a noisy stream. Mike twisted in the saddle. This is my favorite trail. I can see why. It's so pretty and peaceful here. Butterflies with yellow wings edged in black fluttered among the ferns and wild roses that lined the creek banks. Waves of sunshine splashed through the gaps between the tree branches. Bird calls rose above the creek splashes. Kate tipped her head back, reveling in the clear blue sky and thinking she could stay there forever and never once miss civilization. When we get to a fork in the path, Mike said, we'll take the upper trail. He winked and turned around, riding on. She felt her cheeks warming again. She had to quit blushing like a schoolgirl every time he winked at her. But she had to admit she liked his winks. Maybe it was because her dad used to wink when he teased her. Mike stopped to point at the ground. See that? An animal footprint? Yeah, a mountain lion. They're also called cougars around here. The print was bigger than her hand. Are they dangerous? Tramp sniffed the indentation, growled, and tracked an invisible trail into the brush. Once in a while you'll hear of a cat attacking a human, but it's rare. That doesn't exactly make me feel safe. He chuckled. We'll be fine. He flicked the reins. Let's go, lightning. Come on, tramp. An hour later, they rode into a clearing. Mike slowed his horse. This is it. He dismounted. Kate did the same. Reins in hand, they stepped slowly toward the rocky rim of the canyon. Tramp lagged behind, pacing and whimpering. Mike laughed at his dog. This is my favorite hangout, but he doesn't think much of it. Are you okay with heights? She hesitated. Maybe Tramp knew something she didn't know. I've never been this close to the edge of a canyon before. She could hear water crashed over the precipice. I'll hold your hand, in case you start to feel lightheaded. He grasped both sets of reins with one hand and took her hand with the other. They peered between two large boulders. Behind them, Tramp whined and the horses snuffled. The stream they'd followed through the forest plunged over the edge and down the canyon wall. A rainbow hovered above the waterfall's crest. Kate breathed in the crisp, invigorating smell of the mist and squeezed Mike's hand. It's beautiful. She leaned a little farther. But I can't see the bottom. You can if you lie on the flat area. She pulled back. I don't want to see it that badly. He grinned. 
It's not as scary as it sounds. I'll secure the horses and we can do it together. Kate wished she hadn't mentioned seeing the bottom, but she was game to try, as long as Mike stayed close. She scratched Tramp's back and watched Mike lead the horses to a wide spot in the stream where water pooled. She admired his confident and gentle manner with the horses. Even so, she wasn't sure she wanted to hang over the edge of a cliff with him. But when he returned to her side with a look of anticipation, maybe even affection, she knew she couldn't disappoint him. Still, she held back, though he took her hand again. It'll be okay, I promise, Mike said. Trust me. Trust him? She'd stopped trusting men long ago. Time for a few quotes related to the new year. Divide each difficulty into as many parts as is feasible and necessary to resolve it. Rene Descartes. I don't even drink. I can't stand the taste of alcohol. Every New Year's Eve, I try one drink, and every time it makes me feel sick. So I don't touch booze. I'm always the designated driver. That's Kim Kardashian. I think in terms of the day's resolutions, not the years. Henry Moore. And this one from Melody Beattie. Make New Year's goals. Dig within and discover what you would like to have happen in your life this year. This helps you do your part. It is an affirmation that you're interested in fully living life in the year to come. I have two kid quotes for you today. I guess we call them kid chuckles. I overheard Elisa, six-year-old Elisa, telling four-year-old Toby how to draw a heart. First, she said, you draw two hips. She told us that she taught herself how to draw hearts. And Toby, as he was handing me a piece of his original artwork, said, you can share this with Daddy, but no screaming about it. That's it for now. See you next time. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading. Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at beckylyles.com. Steve and Becky like to hear your thoughts, and they encourage authors to send stories and other short prose and poetry for them to read on the podcast. You can learn more about Becky's books by visiting beckylyles.com or by searching for her books online. Her nonfiction titles can be found under the name Becky Lyles and her fiction under Rebecca Carrie Lyles. All of her books are available in both print and ebook formats. Winds of Wyoming and Winds of Freedom are also offered in audio format online. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story.